How many beach people do we have in here? You love to go to the beach. What's not to love about the beach, right? I love the beach myself. Um, what's that? I heard a little rumbling. Um, I'm not a big fan of swimming in the ocean. And that's, there's two main reasons I'm not a big fan of swimming in the ocean. I mean, I'll tear it up just five feet out in the water. But I'm not going out where my, my feet is not on, in the, in the, touching the ground, <laughs> touching the dirt. Um, when I was a little, a little boy, maybe like six years old, we went to a water park in Arizona. And my family, I don't know where they were all, all at, but no one was looking out for me. And I went down this long slide and I ended up in the water. And I was not a good swimmer. I've never been a good swimmer. I don't even remember if I knew how to swim, but go figure. I went down a water slide and I ended up in the water and I started drowning. And I can still recall that experience um, of that feeling of not being able to breathe and like, is this it, man? A little six-year-old life is toast at this point. And someone came in, pulled me out of the water, and I've kind of been afraid of water a little bit since, ever since then. I can doggy paddle with the best. Like, I could doggy paddle the English Channel maybe, but as <laughs> long as I was in a shark-proof suit or something. But also, the other experience that I had was when I was a little boy, my parents let me see Jaws. What in the world were they thinking? And, I mean, I remember being in a swimming pool looking for Jaws, like in, in a lake, and he'd show up, you know. And it was several years ago, our family was in, in Florida, and we decided to do a uh, swim with the dolphin kind of thing. And we, you're on this big boat, and they get you to this spot where you're going to swim about 50 yards to this little island. And so you put on the your snorkel, your goggles, and your fins. And so everybody did that. Janelle kind of led the way. And all my family was swimming away. And I, I just got my gear on. I got in the water. And, and the ocean started hitting me in the face. And I'm sucking in ocean water. I don't know how to snorkel or do anything. And I thought, you know what? I wonder if I can see into the water. And I put my face down in the water. And I had a flashback. I pictured something was coming. I was just going to see the face of a teeth of a shark or something come get me. And I went, I'm out, man. (laughs) I went back up on the boat, started taking my stuff off. And Janelle's 40 yards out there. And she looks at me like, what are you doing? I said, have fun, have fun, kids. I'll be holding the fort down up here. And (laughs) I've never lived that down. Those experiences made me tentative of the ocean. Let me apply that to us. The same is true of so many, so many people's experience in church. They've had bad experiences with this thing called church. And so it's like, yeah, I'm good when it comes to church. 22 million people in America say they're Christian, but there's not 22 million people that are participating in, in church. So we kicked off a new series last week called Rediscover Church. And we're going to take this up to Easter where we look at this thing called the church. Last week we talked about being the people of God. And, and this week we're going to talk about the reality that the church isn't perfect. 
the quicker we get over, over that, the more we'll probably connect in church, the quicker we understand that. To rediscover something is to discover something that's been forgotten or ignored. How true is that of church? It's been forgotten by a lot of people. We were joking on the way in. On, a lot of people go to Bedside Baptist on Sunday morning. Pastor Pillow, he preaches a good message, man. He puts you right to sleep. Pastor Pillow, you're supposed to laugh. I'm not dogging any of you. I'm not dogging you. I'm, uh, I realize that, but one of the major things to understand in understanding Jesus' church is the fact that it's, it's not perfect. We're all a work in process, and that it's not perfect yet. It will be one day, because we're all a work in process. Let me read to you from, uh, from John the Apostle. He writes a letter to the churches, and John was an eyewitness to the life of Jesus, to the death of Jesus, to the resurrection and even the ascension of Jesus. And he tells the church this. He says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Did you catch that? When Jesus appears, we will see him for who he really is. Right now, there's a, there's a bit, bit of a veil on it because we're human. We, haven't, we didn't walk with him. We didn't see it. We read about it. We feel his presence in the Holy Spirit and through one another, but we're, we haven't seen him as he really is until he comes again. But as I was meditating on this, the more you and I get to know the real Jesus, you get to know the real Father. Because there's a lot of, lot of folks who have been hurt by misunderstandings about what the Father is about. And Jesus came to clear that up. And he said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. You want to know what human beings are supposed to be like? You look at Jesus. He's the true human. We are, we are growing and learning how to live like Jesus and self-sacrificing, self-denial, selfless life. But that's a work in process. Jesus lived his life on earth, you know, in that perfect relationship with his Father, doing the will of the Father. So the question I want to ask is, how can I understand both the perfection and imperfection of the church? What will be is not yet, but what will be is guaranteed. We will be like Jesus when we see him, when he returns. So the more I get to know him now, the more I'm going to act like him here on this earth. So the first thing I would say is I need to understand the word church. We say things like, well, are you going to church? Or uh, will you come to church? And those statements are a bit misleading. Jesus took his disciples in Matthew 16. He took them to a place called Caesarea Philippi. Um, I've been there. I don't know if I've told you guys this or not, but, but it was cool. And, and it, at Caesarea Philippi was a place in the Old Testament called Bashan. And Bashan was at the foot of Mount Hermon or Mount Hermon. 
in our Americanese. And at the foot of Mount, Mount Hermon was, was this place called Bashan where all the idolatry, pagan ritual, worship, sacrifices, etc. And literally, there was a, in some of the, it's built around these caves and there's water in it. And they called it the gates of hell. And they believed that one of those pools was literally the pathway into Hades. And so Jesus takes his disciples and he's gaining in popularity right now in, in, in this place in the story. He's doing miracles, he's teaching, he's gaining a following. And he turns to his disciples and he says, who, who do the people say I am? And they say, well, some say you're a prophet, you're John the Baptist, Jeremiah, whatever. And he says, he turns the question on them. He says, who do you say I am? And Peter, without hesitation, says, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. Jesus says, that's the right answer, Peter. And he said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven revealed this to you. And he said, on this truth, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. They had a visual right before them of all this evil stuff going on. He said, that's not going to stand. I'm going to build my church and blow through the gates of hell. Gates are defensive, trying to keep something out. Jesus says, I'm going in the middle of it. I'm going to build my church and nothing can stand against that. The reason I say that, and I said, you know, go, do you go to church? Will you go to church is misleading because the word Jesus use, uses for I will build my church is the Greek word ekklesia. Ekklesia literally means called out, the called out assembly. We're called out of the way of the world, which is I'm going to get mine. I'm going to be selfish. I'm going to step on anybody to get to where I want to be, to get ahead. We've been called out of that thinking into a life of love and peace and caring for others in, in a selfless life. And he says, you know, so what, what I mean by that is Jesus didn't have a building or a location or a place in mind. He had people in mind. He had you and I in mind when he was saying this. So therefore, church is not a place, it's a people. If, we, if our only experience of, of church is going to church, mean coming to a service on Sunday, if that's our only experience, we're going to miss out on 90% of what Jesus meant by the word church. Church is about doing life together, about helping care, carry each other's burdens. It's about relationships. It's people. And so the church is, is wherever we are, that's where church is happening. Remember what I taught last week that wherever two or three are gathered, I'm right there in the middle. Jesus, man, when he said that, he had, you know, if you think back to the Garden of Eden, in, what was in the middle of the Garden of Eden was the tree of life. What was in the middle of the tabernacle and the temple was the Holy of Holies. Jesus is echoing that. He's saying wherever two or three are gathered in my name, and you're gathered with the tree of life. You're gathered with the holy of holies. My presence is right there with. It's about belonging together. So church is a call to answer Jesus' invitation to come, belong, and go and be. 
There's 168 hours in a week. That means the other 167 hours of the week, the majority of us are not going to be in this building. Think about that. So we don't, you are the church. So if all we do is go to church, you're going to get bored. You're going to get bored if you don't participate in relationships, in the community that's being built within the context of this church. We're called to be the church, not go to church. It's more important. We gather together. It's important to gather together like we do on Sunday and worship together and drink coffee together, say hello, pray for one another, take communion, hear the word of God. That's all very relevant and important. You know, we're told, instructed to meet together. But where two or three are gathered, that can be in a home group, that can be in a core group, that can be at McDonald's on Friday morning. Right, men? Some of you met at McDonald's Friday morning. I got an invitation to the old dudes club on Friday morning. They invited me. They admitted that I was significantly younger, but they wanted my presence. I couldn't be there. Love an egg McMuffin on a Friday morning with my bros, but... The reality is, catch this, church is a verb. It's not just who we are, it's what we do. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. As we learned last week, we are, as the people of God, we're the extension of Jesus' ministry here on earth. We represent Jesus on earth. That's what we're called to, to, to be. Very important to be with the church and to be the church. Second thing is I need to remember that the church is made up of imperfect people. You guys figured that out? Did you know that or is that news? I'm pretty aware of it. We are imperfect. And the quicker we realize that, the more we'll walk in being the church. A common denominator in a bad church experience is people. That's the common denominator. Most of the time when people walk away from Christianity or the church, it's really got nothing to do with Jesus. It has everything to do with people and how people have treated one another, what maybe bad doctrine has been taught or a wrong picture of who God is. If you can't tell, I'm passionate about this subject. I don't like people who have been hurt by church. I I don't like people being hurt by church. I love people who have been hurt by church. That's what keeps me up at night. Because people have had this bad vision of what who Jesus is and I want to clear it up so that people experience the real Jesus. Obviously, people who don't know Jesus at all keep me up at night too. But we're in this thing together to help people who have never experienced Jesus's community or have had a bad experience in Jesus's community experience the real deal and walk this thing out together imperfect people hurt people imperfect people offend people imperfect people rub each other wrong I mean that's just the reality that's all of us The church is imperfect because I'm in it, because I'm imperfect. And I hate to break it to you, it's imperfect because you're in it too. I just wanted you to feel better about yourself this morning. (laughs) 
Billy Graham once said, if you find the perfect church, don't go to it because you'll ruin it. (laughs) There was a story about a guy who was a castaway on a deserted island. Only one on the island. He was there for 20 years. And a rescuer finally found him. And when, when they found him, they were blown away. They, they, they saw a couple structures and they said, well, what's that building over there? That's really cool. And they said, oh, he said, oh, that's my home. The guy was like, oh, that's really cool. What's that building with the columns on it? He said, uh, he said that's my church. That's where I go and pray and, and worship God. He said, well, what's that building over there with like the bell tower on it? He said, oh, that's my old church. Thank you. I didn't know if that was going to go well or not. It was funny to me. Um, If we think we're going to find a church where it will be impossible to get offended or hurt, we're not being realistic. I'll be the first to tell you that this church is imperfect, but we're pursuing the perfect one in Jesus. And as we pursue him, we're being perfected together. We all have flaws we all are going to rub each other wrong. We're going to, it's just, it's inevitable. It's called being part of the human race right now. It's that reality. And we're not trying to lead people to novation. We're trying to lead people to Jesus. Imperfect people leading people to the perfect Jesus. The Apostle Paul in Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, but the word all in Greek means all. There you go. I was free. Everybody has fallen short. We all miss, miss the mark. We all fail to love God and love people the way we're supposed to. That's just that's where we're at. That's why we need Jesus. All, we're all included in that. The Apostle Paul also writes in Ephesians 4, 2, he says, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Can you keep that up for a second? That's an important verse. Make allowance for each other's faults. Like when you, like Carrie was saying, you had to come in the doors of this building at some point, right? That, but also when you come in, make allowance that, that we're people and we're, we're, we have faults. We make allowance for it. In other words, let's, let's set the bar low for being in reality that we're going to, people have faults. Like, let's set that bar low, but let's set the bar high that we're going to be humble, gentle, patient, and we're going to love one another. We're going to let love, the question of what does love require of me, be how we follow Jesus. Because all of his commands, everything he's told us to be obedient to do is wrapped in love. What does love require of me? You want to have a game changer in your relationships, game changer on the job, game changer in your friendships, game changer in the church, is always ask yourself the question, what does love require me in any given circumstance? And you do what love would require of you. And then Paul also echoes this in Colossians. He says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Somebody once said, community is the place 
where the person you least want to live with always lives. It's so true, man. <laughs> you don't get to pick your family and you don't get to pick your neighbors, right? It, it is what it is. Church is a community of broken people like me. I'm broken, in need of repair. In comes the gospel. Jesus came and he lived and he died and he rose again and he defeated our enemies of sin, death, and the evil one. And now he's piece by piece putting us back together and we're growing into be a reflection of him. It's a lifelong process. None of us is ever going to arrive. But we, the church is broken people receiving healing, healing so that we can live the kind of life that he intended for us from the beginning. And then I, I need to realize the gift and message of Jesus often gets poorly wrapped and presented. The presentation is often poor. Brian, you told me you had a gift for me. You're the man. Look at this gift he gave me. Did you wrap that yourself? Wrapped it like a man. I never get to wrap Christmas gifts at home. It looks like a four-year-old did it or something. But, but Brian, thank you, man. Like, I can't die to know if this is like your PB&J from Friday at lunch that you never finished or some crayons maybe. Let me find out what's in this really beautifully wrapped gift. Ooh, a hondo. Thank you. Can I spend it how I want to? Since it, since, oh, 10% goes back to the church. <laughs> Spoken like a true president of the board. <laughs> uh, it was actually my $100 bill, but... Um, I took it out of the offering. Just kidding. <laughs> the gospel is so beautiful. Jesus is so amazing. But he gets presented in a bag like that sometimes. That's been some people's experience. Let's just be honest. That's why it's so important for us to go deeper in our understanding of Jesus and our relationship with him and to really see what he's about. It's important to continue to go deeper on our understanding of the gospel. I've been on a journey the last several years that I want to read the Bible better so that I know God better. Not that I look smart or can be right in a conversation, but I want to know the Father. And reading the Bible better is, is, is a, in understanding who Jesus is, I'm realizing we get a lot of things wrong. George MacDonald once said, he was an old Scottish pastor in the 1800s, he said, many a good people will one day look back um, and, and just cringe at the things they said about God and look back, that's not, that was not right, that was not true about who God is. The Father is the giver of this amazing gift. And Jesus said in John 3, For this is how God loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son the gift, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world, 
but to save the world through him. Jesus is the gift from the Father, and the Father says, here, here's my son. And our job by faith is we receive it, we open the gift, and we enjoy it. We live life. We live the abundant life that Jesus promised. In Jesus' ministry, right after um, his baptism and then his temptation in the wilderness, he goes to the synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown, and they ask him to pick out a scroll to read from the Hebrew Scriptures. And he goes to Isaiah 61, and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And he said, in your midst this morning, that's fulfilled. And you would think they would say, wow. They tried to take him out to to the cliff and throw him over and kill him because he was claiming to be the Messiah. Jesus was rejected in his own hometown by his own people. He was rejected by the religious leaders. But who flocked to Jesus? The broken, the prostitute, the, the uh, people in, that just were in, desperate flocked to Jesus. And he always welcomed them. The gift and good news doesn't always get opened as well. And it doesn't get believed because of how it's been presented. My first experience with evangelical church was was pretty poor presentation. And I believe with my heart today, looking back, they meant well. They meant well, but they were going down the wrong path. And I mean, they would say things like, if you're driving the road and you're just about to get T-boned, and you say a curse word, and you die, you would be separated from God because you didn't have time to ask for forgiveness. That's a pretty poor presentation of the gospel, in my opinion. And the, the list goes on. And, and God bless them. I know they meant well. And maybe you've experienced that kind of stuff yourself. Let's don't judge people. Let's don't turn around and do the exact same thing that we've experienced. Let's be like Jesus. Say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So toxic teachings often lead to bad church experiences. Taking, you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. Like we can take things out of context, hit people over the head with scriptures and this and that. And it, but it's, it leads us down the wrong path. That's why at Novation, we really do try to take as most humble position we can with Scripture and realize there are things that, that are, are connect all believers, past, present, and future, and we're going to major on those, those truths. But on secondary issues, things of that nature, let's talk about it. And, and because otherwise, a secondary issue can become toxic if we don't watch it. Um, one of them is legalism. In Galatians 2.21, the Apostle Paul says, if right standing with God or righteousness could be attained by rule keeping or rituals or the law, then Christ died.
died in vain. He didn't, he didn't need to die. But we know Jesus did die in our place. And so there's no way to have that, you know, by rules and so forth. None of us are going to keep the set of rules. Even last week, somebody, I said, what do you think about when you think here at the word church? And they said rules. Like, oh, you've had a bad church experience if that's all you hear is rules when it comes to following Jesus and what, what that means. So legalism by a working definition would be I'm legalistic with God when I think I can earn and merit his favor by what I do and don't do. We do this all the time, don't we? We fail, oh, he must be mad at me. He doesn't love me anymore or whatever. He's going he's gonna to forsake me. Listen, he loved you and I when we were in the middle of all our stuff. God demonstrated his love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He already loved you. He already loved me in the middle of my own mess. And he loves us in the middle of our mess. That's why he sent Jesus. That's how he proves that. And so we can be legalistic with each other when Christians command stuff from each other that God and Scripture does not. We get traditions. We get bad interpretation of Scripture. And so we tell people what, what they can do and what they can't do. And you're more holy if you do this. You're, you're less holy if you do that. That's being legalistic with each other. And that's affected a lot of people. Does this mean that we're not supposed to be obedient? Of course we are. Does this mean behavior doesn't count? Of course not. Jesus, but all of his commands in being obedient to him are wrapped in love. And he wants what's best for each one of us. He created us, and he created us to have relationship with him and to enjoy him. And so when he tells us to do something or not to do it, it's in, he's got our best interest at heart. We have a problem believing that sometimes. I get it. Second one is fundamentalism. In Galatians, there's nothing wrong with fundamentals, right? We practice the fundamentals. Fundamentalism is in Galatians 5.20, Paul lists out the fruits of the flesh before he lists out the fruits of the, the Spirit. And he calls out some pretty, pretty uh, big stuff, you know, orgies and fits of rage and anger, blah, blah, blah. But he uses this word factions. He says a faction is a fruit of the flesh. A faction means my little group has it all right and you rest of you are all wrong. We've experienced that in churches before. We're, we're the frozen chosen. We, we got it all figured out, and, and everybody else is wrong. And when you experience fundamentalism, it means really at the heart of fundamentalism is we believe the Bible and our interpretation of every, everything is the right interpretation. That's when you get fundamentalistic. And then exclusivism. People have felt rejected and judged when they go gather with the church. That's sad. That's sad. Galatians 3.28, Paul says, because of Christ, there is no longer Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave, or free. It's, it's, you're in Christ. And that is, the, is what unites all of us to stop looking at all these other things and look at each other and look for the face of Jesus in, in one another. Who's, exclusivism is who's in, who's out. 
But again, you go back to Romans 3.23, that word all, all have fallen short, that kind of unites us all together in the middle, levels the playing field. Jesus is the exclusive Savior. He said himself that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through the avenue of Jesus Christ. He said that. Church didn't make that up. People get mad at that sometimes. Say, oh, you're exclusive. No, take it up with him, not me. But he is the all-inclusive Savior where he says, come one, come all. I don't care where you've been, what you've done. Come to me. So that makes him inclusive, which is beautiful. Hypocrisy has been a big one. But we all have to admit that we're a little bit of hypocrites ourselves. We don't always practice what we preach. I try to, and that's my heart. Um, But people have been hurt by hypocritical teaching where, you know, at the time that those verses in Matthew that I gave you, Jesus is talking about the hypocrisy of the teachers and the religious leaders of the day. And sometimes you go to a, a, a place where redemption and grace is preached, yet we eat and shoot our own. And it, the church has to be honest. We, we eat and shoot our own. And, and whether it's self-inflicted or not, Jesus' goal and in, in, in desire in every situation is people to be restored and to be reconciled. That's always his goal. Again, does that mean just do what you want, behavior, obedience? No, don't hear that. But the, his goal is that we restore people. Hypocrisy, it's kind of part of the reason I don't, I don't have any stickers on my car about my faith. Some of you are brave enough to do that, but I'm, I'm not quite mature enough yet to have a Jesus fish on my, on my car. Because um, I kind of drive like a grandma, and I get yelled at a lot for driving slow in the right lane, and people get mad at me for that. So I, d- I just pray for them as they go by. <laughs> but if we can admit we're all hypocrites, that's a good start too. And here's what I want you to remember. If you know somebody that's a Christian that's a hypocrite, never forget that we don't follow his followers. We follow the leader. He's the one that, that we follow. The last one is hyper-faith and hyper-spirituality. That, that can give a bad church experience for people is when you, you, you get hyper-faith and hyper-spirituality. What do I mean by that? Well, my brother, years and years ago, he was playing a game with, um, with his daughter. She's now grown, a grown-up, so it was obviously a long time ago. But he had this friend who was hyper-spiritual. And he, he called my brother, and my brother answered the phone. He said, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm playing a game of Blue's Clues with my daughter. Do you remember Blue's Clues, anybody? It was a little cartoon about a little dog. His name was Blue. And it was a little card game you play with your kids. And he's playing this game. And the guy on the other phone, he goes, Brother, wake up. Like somehow playing a game of Blue's Clues is not spiritual and a bad thing to do. And you look at that and you think, Man, that's actually playing a game with your daughter. That's the most spiritual thing you can do sometimes. It's just relationship and hang out. But this guy was so up here in his spirituality that anything that didn't do with prayer, Bible, worship, blah, 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 was somehow, you know, you're falling asleep. 
Some of you have been hurt by this kind of stuff, right? Nod your head if you have. I want one. I see that head. I see that head. I know I have. And that's not how Jesus wants us to walk. He wants us to walk in the fruits of the spirit of love and joy and peace and this other stuff, this toxic teachings can easily lead us away from joy, away from peace, self-control, all of the, the fruits of the Spirit. So let's remember this. We're the imperfect following the perfect. The church is imperfect becoming perfect one life at a time, one day at a time. Let me go back to the verse I read at the beginning. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. We stand with me. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Would you give Jesus your past bad church experience? We've all had it. And it's, it affected your life. It affected your family. Lay at the feet of Jesus that bad church experience. Forgive who you need to forgive. Let it go. And let's move forward with him. And then I also want to ask you who are in a current bad church experience, let that go. Give it to Jesus. It's inevitable. And then let's prepare as a family, a local church, for our future bad church experiences that we might have with one another. Let's make allowance for one another's faults. Be humble and patient. That's what he wants from us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you're the real deal. Lord Jesus, you are the perfect reflection of your Father. There's no pretense in you. You are a humble God, our humble Savior. Perfect in all your ways. And God, I know there are folks that have had wounds and hurts from this thing called church, I pray for healing, restoration, and reconciliation. And God, as we move forward, we want to just pursue you. We want to pursue your heart to walk in love and grace with one another. Fill us fresh and new today as we leave this building to go be the church this week. To be a friend to someone who's in need of a friend to be a blessing. Thank you for your, your cross, Jesus. Thank you that you're not ashamed to call us your brothers and sisters. I thank you for the triumph of the resurrection, that you did not stay dead. You rose to never die again. 
Thank you for conquering our enemies of sin, death, and, and the evil one. God, I pray for everyone right now, God, those that are hurting, that you would heal physically, spiritually, emotionally. Heal relationships. Let your love and power be on display in Jesus' name. Amen. Well.